information emily i'm so glad that just moments ago i was rescued by you when i was stranded on an island and the only thing like not an island but stranded on a planet by myself and i feared Mm -hmm. that you wouldn't be able to contact me but through the void we were able to go and you beamed me aboard today's podcast episode so thank you so much for that every every minute every second by candlelight i continued to search for you yay because this script, it brought tears to Stan Robertson's eyes. That's right. We're talking about Star Trek. We're talking about the Galileo 7. Um, Missy, did this episode bring tears? Oh, no, no, no. It took his breath away. I'm so sorry. I was thinking to myself, men didn't usually like admit to crying mm-hmm. in those days. They admitted to, like Bob Justman, uh, them needing a- extra budget for this show for his nervous breakdown um, for treatment in a hospital for that. They say that they'll do that, but not that they'll cry. No, it took his breath away. But did it take your breath away, Missy? Well, this is tilting our hand a little bit because normally we save the episode review mm-hmm. and what I thought of it for the end. But since you asked, no. <laughs> and in fact, this one is a pretty low tier episode for me. Yo, yo, I have got to agree. I have always felt that way about this episode. Um, And there is actually a very interesting Strange New Worlds episode that parallels this in that uh, it is also an episode featuring Spock in the role of command. Um... So that's basically what we're dealing with here on the Galileo 7. Um, This was first the first outline and three story drafts were done by Oliver Crawford. Um, Crawford is a writer who was formerly blacklisted in the 50s for being a communist. Uh, so I thought that that was pretty interesting because I just listened to Studio 60 on the Sunset Strip. On Not a Hate Watch. Yes. Which is interesting because in Studio 60 on the Sunset Strip, that's a little mm-hmm. plot line where there mm-hmm. is a writer who got blacklisted. And I was I was like totally shocked by that because I just know from reading through theater history and stuff like uh, Clifford Odets and everything and, and the flip. So yeah, the fact that this is a blacklisted writer is fascinating. Mm-hmm. And there were actually two people formerly blacklisted in this episode uh not only oliver uh but our one of our main characters 
uh, in this episode. So I'll get to that when we reach oh, him. Boy. Um, we have a secret communist within the thing. <laughs> well, we the Jake, reason this Jake, person was blacklisted is probably has more to do with uh, racism. Oh, well, but... I think you have narrowed down. Oh, okay. I have narrowed I down have, who with this that, can with that be. statement, narrowed down who it possibly could be. But yes, we will get to that. Who could it be? Um, so, yeah, he was a formerly blacklisted writer. Um, but he did Outer Limits, Wild Wild West, all the shows of the day. And this particular uh, this particular script is a redo of Have You Heard of This Film, Missy? Five came back. I know of it by name. However, I, like in a reference to, I know it is um people stranded and it's like a i think a shipwreck survival story i don't know if it's literally like five of them on a boat now am i wrong i might be thinking of something different you are entirely correct okay, but okay. i was gonna ask if you hadn't heard of that if you heard from back from eternity uh, a remake of that same movie 20 years uh, later by the same director okay. robert farrow okay. oh okay well that's interesting <laughs> that, okay i oh man I wonder how many, I'm going to have to research this at some point, how many directors have gone and redone yeah. films? I know it's happened, um, but have redone films they've done in the past and then like change it up like, oh, it's the title different and different actors and everything, but it's just, it is the same thing. Like totally admitting mm -hmm. that they're doing their own project again. It's like a reinterpolation or a reconceptualizing of what it is. Yeah, that's fascinating. But no, I, yeah, I've just heard of it referenced as yeah, like a, a mm -hmm. survivalist um mm -hmm. thing now i'm assuming is it something where there's more than five people that get stranded and then we're we know because of the title of the film mm -hmm. we're watching them and it's like and then there were none except and it's called and then there were five essentially yeah pretty much <laughs> pretty much um i do really like that title better for that reason than back from eternity like what the fuck is that yeah um but this film was starring a very young Lucille Ball in one of her <gasps> only dramatic roles in the 30s version. Oh, yes. That's yeah. why it also is bouncing in my head. Yeah. Because of Lucille I thought, Ball. Yeah. Which is, oh. And if we were talking talk about mm -hmm. connections, there's two connections we can get into here. One is the fact that this was produced by Desi Lu Studios, Star Trek. Precisely. And that Lucille Ball herself was investigated by HUAC, the house... Yep. Um, of un-American activities? Yeah, the house can be for un-American activities. I can't remember. I'm just realizing in the middle of it, I'm like, oh, I, I always just call it HUAC, and I can forget what the exact yeah. <laughs> acronym for it is, but, you know, Dermot McCarthy's uh, investigation. So it, it is just, like, interesting that those two connections are in there. And I almost actually made it a joke that is a joke from Being Ricardos, something we haven't watched yet for the Sorkin streak. If you're listening to Red Starts, I'm going to give you a little bit of bonus. Mm. That's where the Sorkin streak ends. <gasps> but okay i know there's a scene where basically spoiler alert for myself and everyone else that she edgar hoover calls in like on the set and they're like lucy's not a communist so everyone's fine with her recording the sitcom like yay hooray notorious good guy j edgar hoover comes in and saves the day to quote clue why is j edgar hoover on your phone i don't know he's on everyone else's why shouldn't he be on mine it's essentially <laughs> that um but yeah so uh, yeah, but I guess we can talk about it. Cause I, I, this is going to be a hard episode for me to talk about for two different reasons. Mm -hmm. 
one, it was so predictable. It is a very mm-hmm. beat by beat rescue thing. Yeah. A few people die. There are some surprises in terms of what the danger was and how that plays out. But I'm going to use a word I don't like. This is a word that I feel like is overused and maybe cliche, but it was very hokey instead of being camp or interesting. And I think it's mm-hmm. not so much about the plot itself because th- this, like, there's plots that I've seen from other Star Trek stuff that I love because they do it so well. But this mm-hmm. one, I don't think was executed the best simply because it's like, they're not going to kill any of them off. Like, and maybe that's my knowledge now, not watching it live, not being sure, oh, are they going to kill off a main character? Like, maybe mm-hmm. there was that tension early on, you know, and watching shows, obviously, with better dramas, that's always a thing. Interesting enough. Uh, Scotty almost died. <gasps> they almost actually killed him off in this. They were seriously considering it. Yeah. <gasps> See, yeah. exactly. So I can understand at the time being much mm. more tense about it where we know, no, it's yeah. just going to be any of the guest stars are the ones that are exactly. up for up for options. You know, we know that none of mm-hmm. them actually died. Um, that might be part of what, what killed the, the more enthusiasm for it, but there's some things to talk about. But yeah, uh, so let's go ahead. Uh, Emily, you do the great job of, of jumping in here and describing it, but why don't we go ahead and talk about it scene by scene? Because the other reason that I might not be able to talk about this the best is that I had to rewind it a lot because we have a mm-hmm. new little kitten. And yeah! they were just, dist- I believe we think it's a he, but they were distracting me uh, a little bit throughout. And so in terms of my job of having to babysit what we are calling Dr. President, I haven't filled up the last name today because it was biting me, Dr. President Little Bastard. And uh, so, yeah, so my attention also is like, I'm, I just need you to recap it for my brain. <laughs> the other part of the recap is just so my brain has all of these parts in order. Because I know there's stuff that is just sitting in there. But my, my mind, did, it's the first time I've watched a Star Trek and my mind was like, you're allowed to wander a bit. Like, you don't have to listen to every single word that's being said. You know the action of this. (laughs) I I really also feel like that is because of the story, because of the writing of this particular episode. This one was harder for my brain to even latch on to. And I've seen this episode a number of times. But it was always one that I would skip when I was a kid, Mm. like on the DVDs. Like, I would just skip it because... I it's incredibly like skippable. It. It's in, I'm going to be honest. It's the first one that we've watched where, like, even and, Charlie yeah. X or um, mm-hmm. uh, Where No Man Has Gone Before, which are, I think, the two that I've talked about probably being the lower ones. I'm sure there's other ones within this, but those are the two that come to mind first. Like, this one, I think, is even mm-hmm. lower. Like, I would rewatch those. Yeah. This one, you're right. It's oh, the yeah. first one that's skippable, which is sad because I've, I've been enjoying Star And mm-hmm. it's not that sad because it's not terrible. It's not like it was a bad awful thing where you're like oh my god we can't speak of it it's just more of like but it doesn't take your breath away yes exactly exactly where every other star trek episode has at least one big moment that's in that and at least like a really nice like bit of writing like there's only one or two lines that like i mean i have a lot of like the dialogue in here in my notes but like mostly just to remind myself what happened Rather than being like, and Gene did it again, yeah. Um, which we have been, but this one, this one was worked on not by just Oliver Crawford, not by just also 
Shyman Winselberg, also known as S. Bar David, who we spoke about, who was so mad at how his story was totally butchered uh, that he changed his name on this. This was his second Star Trek assignment that he was working on concurrently. Um, But also Gene L. Kuhn, who was the producer they brought in halfway through the season because uh justman and roddenberry were like we're gonna die like we're we are actually gonna die from overwork we're we will die uh so we need to bring this person in uh it was worked on by all of those including uh a page one rewrite by the original writer oliver crawford page one meaning from the beginning because originally in this story Kirk was the one who was in the shuttle and facing peril, whereas Spock stayed behind. See, okay. That'd be a very interesting turn. Mm -hmm. I will say the part of this that I did like was us exploring Spock's leadership abilities. Mm -hmm. Because that is the part of the tension that I think was most interesting was their part on Mm -hmm. the ground. Because the ship part was just mainly, have we found it? No. Okay, let's keep looking. Mm -hmm. There was nothing, you know, besides the yeah. decision of the one guy being like tapping on his watch, like, okay, watch, we're gonna like, get hey going. Guys. And then, even early on, Let's I was go. like, spoiler, early on, I was yeah. like, okay, they're gonna basically get to the timer, it's gonna go past it, they're gonna start moving. And then, all of a sudden, you know, the moment mm-hmm. before, oh, here's the ship, okay, we rescued it. Oh, again, there's we think mm-hmm. it's gonna be, yeah, so it, it, it yeah, it paint, paint by numbers in that way, pretty much. And I think that. To a large degree, that comes from, um, and not necessarily this writer, Oliver Crawford, because I've never seen anything, or I'm sure I've seen other stuff that he's written and not just not known that it was him. Um, But something he said was that often the job of a writer is to uh, figure out which old movies would make the best Western or sci-fi or uh, other TV shows. Which I think is very true. Yeah. I love it when they they redo a thing. Like I love an Ocean's Eleven. Give me oh, an Ocean's Eleven. Fuck yeah! Show me any amount of people doing every any group of people doing an Ocean's Eleven. I'm in it. Um, but I think that this one, because of the bunch of different times it went through, because it was a really troubled script, um, it just got it just got paint by numbers. Um, the director is Robert Gist, uh, or Gist. I'm going to call him Robert Gist. The Gist. Or Geist. Gist. Who knows? Or Geist. It could be Geist. Is that, uh, well, the, the, the gist of Robert Gist <laughs> is that no one liked him very much, oh. and he was behind schedule on filming. Oh, well, that's probably um, a big reason. Yes. That was the bigger reason. There were a lot of special effects in this episode, though, including creating the shuttlecraft, um, as well as uh, creating the hangar bay for the shuttlecraft, the crashing of the shuttlecraft, the reentry of the shuttlecraft. So it it was just a really like troubled production. Um, and furthermore, Leonard Nimoy himself considers this episode a failure because up until that point he said it was a really important stepping stone for spock the character but and the the development of spock but that up until that point like spock was in relation to captain kirk 
Oh, that's and true. That was really where he felt like the performance, the interest, like the Spock thing was, and he didn't feel like Spock was ready to like carry, you know, the driving action of a of an episode. See, I again, I disagree with that only because the Spock mm-hmm. parts are the part that I liked, and I think Leonard Nimoy rose to the occasion. Maybe he didn't feel mm-hmm. he. I mean, not maybe he doesn't feel like he hit the mark, but. I, you know, I think it is just interesting how they wrote the mm-hmm. logical side of him. I think it was clumsy, but I yeah. do think it was very interesting how they wrote in his inability to have emotions and how that processed with the other people and like, you know, mm-hmm. grief, anger, uh, disappointment, all those things that he just isn't able mm-hmm. to like read to be able to lead. Yes. Um, The other thing that I'm going to be mentioning a lot in my recap is in relation to the new episodes with a new Mr. Spock, who is, I think, does an incredible performance Mm -hmm. um, in Strange New Worlds. Uh, There are times when he is fully in command or like running missions and none of them look like this because everyone on that show is his friend. Like, these are all characters that, like, have known him and met him, and the way that they react, it was, like, so interesting watching this episode after that, because, like, when you're told by Mr. Spock that something's a good idea, you fucking do it, because it's a good idea. Mm-hmm. And so to see so many people be like, nah, that's a bad idea, just because, it's like, what the fuck? Um, So I found that... It's just it's just a weird episode overall. Let, let's get into this let's episode. Let's get into it. Let's get into this episode. Captain's Log, Stardate 2821.5. En route to Marcus 3 with a cargo of medical supplies, our course leads us past Murazaki 312, a quasar-like formation. Vague, undefined. A priceless opportunity for scientific investigation. On board is Galactic High, Galactic High Commissioner Ferris, overseeing delivery of the medicines to Marcus Three. I loved the delivery of this guy's name because they're like, "Hi, Director <laughs> Ferris." <laughs> it's like, "Oh, that's not the Ferris. name I was expecting after that title." Like the grandest <laughs> of it, just be like Ferris. <laughs> Say Ferris, Ferris. apparently. <laughs> um. So we're on the bridge of the USS Enterprise with Ferris, who's wearing an incredible uh, navy blue suit. Yeah. It's like half, half, half something else. He's wearing a turtleneck. You can only see the neck part, and it's embroidered with flowers. It was gorgeous. It was great. Um, he, this actor's name, where is, where is he? John Crawford. Uh, John Crawford. He fucking hated his time. He he didn't like Shatner. He's like, Shatner kept telling me where to stand. He would like direct me. I couldn't just do whatever the fuck I wanted on set like I could with Lost in Space. Um, and <laughs> the person who wrote this this book, um, These Are the Voyages, uh, where I get most of this behind the scenes information, mm-hmm. had a little aside after that quote, which was, and wasn't that the problem with Lost in Space, though? Oh. you slam will robinson danger bitch danger danger yeah Uh, (laughs) so i think i thought that was really funny that shatner was just like dude stand still 
<laughs> they're trying to get a shot. <laughs> um, so he, you know, reminds the captain of his objection to this diversion. He's like, there is a plague on in these new Paris qual- colonies. Can we get these vaccines to this plague that's happening? And I feel like that should be a higher priority. That was something that was added a little later in the production of the script to be like we need to make it seem like there is a problem that is limiting their time otherwise the tv this is how we tv which i feel like gene roddenberry had to do a lot yeah uh oh, this yeah. was mostly uh coon but same it was like <laughs> tv we have to tv please if we could just television for this tv show like, mm, <laughs> let me think about that mm. i think i'll write a 70 page outline <laughs> oh my Wait. god oh no oh no <laughs> yeah call back to the last episode oh god so at that point just write a fucking script write a script <laughs> Just put put words in people's mouths. Don't just describe it. Make word talk. Just, just make word talk. So uh, he's like, yeah, we need to deal with this plague. But Kirk is like, you do not understand the importance of quasars and how important they are to Starfleet. I don't know what's so important about quasars. I know that a quasar is a a star that is spinning really, really fast. And so those bursts of light are periodic and you can learn a lot of scientific things from it from earth um i don't know why it's so important to starfleet but he's like we must look at all quasars and quasar life phenomena um and we only need to rendezvous in five days i don't care that there's a plague and it would be nice if we got there early we have to examine this uh quasar so we have 48 hours to study our phenomenon and, and if you want to if you want to just get into the paint by numbers for it i'll point out a few points where it is and one of Please. them is oh here's a scientific phenomena let's go study it which means mm-hmm. it's gonna fuck us up yep yep and i wonder what i wonder what's gonna be dangerous yeah, exactly where will our peril come from <laughs> so we see the galileo a beautiful uh model that was created by a toy company and given to Star Trek for free. Why? They wanted the contract to make those enterprises. I recognized that shape uh, like instantly. Yep. It is so iconic. And that is hilarious that it was reverse engineered. Mm-hmm. Because a lot of people talk about how Star Wars, like George Lucas got the merchandising because he knew Star Wars mm-hmm. was basically for toys. And all the design was for that. That before even Star Wars, this was a thing. Where toy companies were basically being like, "Hey, uh, you need some, uh, you need some models. You need some little things molded together. I got some molds here, but uh, if you want one of these, can we make a million of them?" Mm-hmm. Uh, it was aluminum model toys, AMT, okay. that secured that, and also much like the rabbit suit from last episode. Yes was given to them for free (laughs) it it is so interesting how even television productions are still trying to get stuff for free or will use stuff for free anytime they need because even big budget stuff like that money gets allocated real quickly when you have a production this big and as we talked about previous stuff you're lighting it like a movie you're filming Mm -hmm. it like a movie like it's not a Mm -hmm. standard like you're in the television studios but this is not a standard recording that we're doing this is something a bit more heightened 
Exactly. Not at all. Uh, so we're, we see inside of the beautiful Galileo, a crew composed of Spock, Lieutenant Commander Scott. That's right. It's Scotty. We got Dr. McCoy because we need the doctor to study the quasar. <laughs> doctor, doctor, give me the news. I got a bad case of quasar blues. <laughs> uh, we got Lieutenants Latimer, uh, Gaetano, and Boma, as well as Yeoman Mears. Yeah, it was it was um, an interesting group because it was like a motley crew and a lot of mm -hmm. people that we have never seen before, or at least I don't yes. know if we've seen before. Were any of them back there? Okay, they were all guests. I didn't think any were background. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah. yeah, I always like that on tv shows where we all of a sudden have people joining that you don't know because as we talked about earlier you're just like okay which one of them are going to die first like how is this going to play out mm -hmm. uh and now to our blacklisted actor that's right it's boma yeah uh that would be don marshall Don marshall was on the lieutenant uh gene ronmary's first oh, show yes. Yeah, he was in an extremely controversial episode um, that was about racism. Wait, is this the same one uh, that uh, Nichelle Nichols was in? Yes. Oh, yes. wow. Nichelle Nichols played his girlfriend. It was called Make It Right. Uh, Dennis Hopper was in it. Um, and he was, he was supposed to be in a different show at that time. Mm -hmm. Um and everyone his his agent everyone's like no just do this show just do this show and he's like i don't it's i'm not feeling it it's two other really famous guys like my character is just going to be like shuffled to the side that's not what i'm looking for his agent was like just do the pilot you won't have to sign a contract okay. and he's like okay so he does two episodes finally on the third episode someone's like all right you here's a contract that you have to sign and he's like i was told i wouldn't have to sign a contract and I don't want to sign a contract. Like, I don't want to be in this show. Um, and so he called his agent, and his agent was like, if you don't sign that contract, I will blacklist you. <gasps> oh, so this wasn't a comedy. Oh, this was just like, oh, mm -hmm. Hollywood exec, big mm -hmm. person, basically like, I will run you out of this town. Fucked. Yeah. His own Fucked. agent. Oh, my yeah. fucking God. Yeah. Ugh. So... After that, uh, the work just happened to dry up. Oh, yeah. Convenient. So, convenient. So he called Gene Ronberry. And Ronberry has always been a fucking ally uh, to people of color, uh, at the least. And the, to the actors that he loved, he would fucking go to bat. So he called Gene Ronberry, was like, Gene, am I blacklisted? Like, can you check for me? And so Gene looked and he's like, dude, like you're blacklisted. Oh, oh my God. Here's what you do. I know of a day role on Mission Impossible. You're going to take that role and you're going to get your name in the trades that you're working again. And like two or three days later, Gene called him again and was like, I have a job for you. Like I, I'm, I'm, I have this Galileo 7 thing for you. Wow. Um, and he said that getting his name in the trades and this show put his name in the trades and put him in the magazines. He, he got work again. Oh, okay. Yeah. And this he was is, able to, to get his good career gene. Back. Again, good. good when gene. we talk about the good, the bad and the gene, we yeah. are so much in the good gene right now. Yes. Yeah. That's incredible. This is, this is some great gene 
moment. And he's so um, good in this episode. He's so good. He, he is probably the best acting performance with it. I think him and Leonard Nimoy. Yes. And it's because they're given yes. the most to do with it. But they're both like mm-hmm. on high energy, high alert, like really keyed into the scenes and what they're doing yes. and thinking about how like Spock is thinking about how Lieutenant mm-hmm. Boma is doing and reacting to that and same mm-hmm. thing with Boma there like they're they're doing really good listening and acting which is mostly yes. every time we're in acting class you're told acting is mostly listening that is what it is mm. that is absolutely well, true something interesting about acting classes I have a little story about <gasps> their performances together and acting in general uh in just a little bit about about Boma here so we're in this spacecraft. First, everything's normal. And then there's some turbulence and they're knocked off course. And they're like, oh no, we can't read our sensors because of the quasar. Oh, oh, oh. shocking. Oh no. Literally shocking. And it just burst the systems. Yeah. <laughs> it was electromagnetic. Electromagnetic. Um, and they're trying to call the Enterprise. They're like, we're being knocked off course. Blah, blah, blah. But all Uhura is able to make off is blown off course. Yeah. So the Enterprise know they're blown off course, but they don't even know if Enterprise got that transmission. Uh, and now Kirk is very concerned. That thing out there has ionized this complete center sector none of our instruments work at least four complete solar systems in the immediate vicinity and out there somewhere a 24 foot shuttlecraft of course out of control finding a needle in a haystack would be child's play space the final frontier so i was i was pretty pleased with that throw to commercial uh it was very hokey but i was like ha 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 um very dramatic for what's about to be not very dramatic yes now this is interesting because i'm realizing this episode reminds me of an episode of stargate that we watched for not a hate watch so i'll sprinkle in some parallels between that and this which uh in that episode it's that they go through a stargate and two people get spat back out and two people go through it and they're basically like okay well they there was an energy burst that knocked them off course and they kind of realized early on, okay, they must have gone through a different Stargate because they couldn't have mm-hmm. just like disappeared. So now we have mm-hmm. to narrow the search and figure out which Stargate it is. And they're like, well, it could be any one of these a hundred within this ring. Like, we don't know where it is. Well, let's start to narrow it down. So that's- We got to jump through some we, Stargates. Exactly. But, but <laughs> looks like we got to check out these Stargates. They basically oh. figure out where it was. They basically are like, okay, it's probably going to take it to one of the nearest- stargate so again the, just like this where they scanned for planets and are like oh it must be yeah i'm getting a little bit ahead um there's some parallel in there mm-hmm. now i'll sprinkle those in because i don't want to spoil 100 the ending of actually the stargate episode uh if you haven't listened to the Not a hate watch because i think you'll find that interesting it was a really really good episode big uh recommend for that one so captain's log the Murasaki 312 whirls like some angry blight in space, a depressive reminder that seven shipmates still have not been heard from. That was just the part that I thought was great. Just Murasaki 312 whirls like an angry blight in space. I love the word blight 
It is such right? a, not folksy, but it's just such a antiquated term. But it, right? it's, it's so writerly. Yeah, like the only time you hear it is like in like a Dungeons and Dragons setting or something like that. Right? But I love the word blight. Yeah, it's it's fantastic. So Ferris is pretty fucking pissed. He's like, you shouldn't have sent them out there in the first place. Do you know what you've done? You've concerned yourself with only seven people. And I have a, there's a plague. There is literally a plague on a planet. There's a blight. We need to go. But Kirk is like, I am spending every goddamn second looking for my emotional support book. Yeah, yes. And my emotional support doctor. <laughs> Don't you understand? And and my engineer who tells me that I, you know, he's giving me everything that he or she's giving me everything that she's got. So like he he knows the ship. It's it's Kirk's wife. The ship is his that. wife. He needs the person that knows his I wife. I need best. the person who can help me talk to my wife. <laughs> Our marriage counselor. The engineer. Best friend. Exactly. <laughs> Exactly. Uhura, of course, is our temporary science officer because Uhura can do fucking everything. Yes, She's amazing. We have discovered this time and time she again. Is, she is top tier material. Um, so she has found there is one planet in the area that they are like ninety nine percent sure that if the if the Galileo crashed, it crashed on this planet, and that is Taurus Two. Yeah. They set a course, which is a great idea because the Galileo was forced to make an emergency landing. And what do you know? It's on Taurus 2. Uh, we open on the craft. Everyone is all fucked up. They're all like holding bits of themselves yeah. and just kind of like shaking because they couldn't ah. do any wounds or anything. Because NBC was like, no, but also that costs money. Oh, like, oh. Time. okay. They're also they're no, but they're also like no, no, no. Um, they're just like oh, like Boma has a nosebleed. Uh, McCoy is like walking through. He's like, "How you doing? Like you doing okay? Like let me help you up there. Like being a doctor. Oh yeah. But also like checking on the crew the way that you would expect Kirk to, and that we've seen Kirk do. They're checking in with their emotions mm -hmm. and making sure yeah. that they're it's like, hey, sound. how you doing? Yeah. You're good. Like, yeah, like yeah, we got this. Like you're good. Yeah. Sets up the parallel between just, his his style of of being in a uh, a crew versus uh, Spock's that we're gonna get. Yeah, exactly. We go, oh, I just got a little bump on my head. That's what Lieutenant Yeoman Mirrors says, uh, the only woman. Mm -hmm. uh, and he's like, oopsie daisy. So I thought that was funny. That She's like, oh, ha ha, just a little bump on my <laughs> little noggin. Um, so Scott attempts to repair the trash, the, the, the craft. Yes. And Latimer and uh, Gaetano are sent out to scout the area. Which, so, no, you never want to be one of the scouts. Uh, like, they were yellow shirts, but they might as well have been red at this point. When I saw yes. that, I was like, okay, mm -hmm. I'm taking a deep breath, because which one of you is going to go first? Which one? Um, they take their little phasers out of a cool flip-out drawer uh, yeah. in the ship. Spock's like, arm yourselves, get the fuck out there, let me know what's going on. Uh, I'm going to help scott because i am spock and i know things um mccoy is all like what do you think our chances are of contacting the enterprise spock's like extremely poor and mccoy's like but they'll be looking for us and spock says well if the ionization effect is as widespread then they'll be searching for us 
without instrumentation by visual contact only and we are on a very large planet and mccoy goes then you don't think they'll find us and spock says not as long as we're grounded we may be here for a very long time doctor um so we're starting he's saying this in front of everyone as well just being like i don't think they're gonna find us oh well let's keep working yeah no real chill about it yeah no real chill about it and we're we're seeing again like time and time again we're being shown that oh spock doesn't understand emotions and therefore he's a bad leader when really it's like okay so like command is hard and scary Mm -hmm. and it must be similar in military operations as with science operations because i would understand in a military operation like you want someone who's like no we got this everything's good like how you doing men because you have to rely on those emotions and that emotional closeness to get people to go out and hurt each other you know well and this is a science team that is also part of the military so there is that factor exactly exactly so so we're sort of in this middle ground of, of spock you know meanwhile on enterprise uh the sensors are inoperative transporters are not operating um and ferris is just tick tock his little watch mm. he'll be late for a very important Date, yes. plague oh, a very important um, plague yes oh my god <laughs> um kirk's all these people are my friends and shipmates i intend to continue this ship's search for them until the last possible moment and he's like, very well, but not one second beyond he, that moment. And again, this is where you're like, yeah, this is going to end with them basically leaving. We're going to get past that threshold point. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like when you set it up, it's checkout's deadline. We get a great little sneer, sneer from Kirk. Uh, he's like, I'm very familiar with the regulations, Commissioner. I know all about your authority. Like, okay. <laughs> I, I I enjoy when Kirk negs people because right? <laughs> he's like I I I it's always like when people basically are like roundabout uh messing with his authority he'll just kind mm-hmm. of shut them down in the funniest sort <laughs> of like I acknowledge your position and I refuse to now further acknowledge and it. I will not acquiesce. <laughs> there it is. He will not acquiesce. Yes. <laughs> And I will not be acquiescing good day. <laughs> it's back on the planet. Um, Spock is outside now. And McCoy comes outside. Like Spock's working on the ship outside. Spock, uh, sorry, McCoy comes out to him and says, you know, I can't say much for the circumstances, but at least it's your big chance. Yeah. And Spock's like, my big chance for what? to die on a planet alone um which he doesn't say but mccoy says command oh i know you mr spock you've never voiced it but you've always thought that logic was the best basis on which to build command am i right thesis thesis statement of the episode i was like oh so this is where god and the devil are setting up their opposing thesis and job has to like fucking work it out uh, Instead of the da- the like, devil versus Daniel Webster, it's the devil versus Spock. Yes. <laughs> or, or the big big creature versus Spock. That we'll give a little big bit creature. little bit of a spoiler. We won't talk about how they are creatures. Yet. Uh-huh. Um, 
So that's interesting. That's an interesting assumption mm-hmm. that McCoy is making right there. And but Spock says, I am wrong. a logical man. It's true. He says, I'm a logical man, doctor. And McCoy's like, it's going to take more than logic to get out of this. But Spock uh, replies, perhaps, doctor, uh, but I know of no better way to begin. I realize command does have its fascinations, even under circumstances such as these. But I neither enjoy the idea of command, nor am I frightened of it. It simply exists, and I will do whatever logically needs to be done. Excuse me. Which is a big fuck you, like, you don't know me. It really, it just is, like, fascinating how... You don't know me, you're not my dad, fuck you. And it's also like, well, logically, if you're going to push my logic button, I wouldn't want Mm -hmm. to have this command, because this also has to make decisions that a commander, like chooses you know safety between life and death stuff so like mm-hmm. i logically wouldn't want this position but i accept it because i know it's my responsibility like he's he's basically like will admit that yeah i do want to command but it's only because of the of the rules and the bureaucracy it's only because like that's why i would have to do it which is just like a mm-hmm. great funny piece of like i'm only you know it, like when people leaders who are um like I've worked with organizations and stuff where we're like, oh, we're voting on who the leader is. And the person who like is the best leader is also the one that's like, oh, I don't really know. And they're not doing it like necessarily unsincerely, but you mm-hmm. know, there's a part of their brain that has thought and they'd be like, oh, I'd be good at this, but X, Y, Z, you know? And that's yeah. where Spock's thing where he's like, I know I'd be good at this, but X, Y, Z. I found that part fascinating. And again, part of why the Spock plotline was my favorite of this. Yes. Uh, so inside, Scott is like, Scotty's like, we're fucked. We've lost basically all of our fuel. We will not be able to reach escape velocity. Um, and we would have to be at least 500 pounds lighter than when we arrived. And Spock's just like, oh, the weight of three grown men. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Interesting. Scott's like, you could put it that way. Uh, but McCoy's like, or the equivalent weight in equipment, like Spock, what the fuck? <laughs> like, there's other things um, that you, if you are determining weights of measurement, human capacity is probably not the one that you would want to lead with. You maybe want to do that as mm-hmm. a last resort, even if logically, oh, just leave three people behind is the solution. Like, oh, we'll just come back and, and get them later or whatever. Like, I, who knows? Mm-hmm. Um, so he's basically like Spock, though he has a logical answer for why he said that wild thing first. He's like, we use like almost all this equipment. Like there is no way we can reach that much weight yeah. with just surf, surf, uh equipment that we aren't using. Um it's gonna be a passenger. Like, I don't know what you're thinking. And that's when Boma says. You mean three of us must stay behind? Yeah. Uh, and Spock's like, yes. Boma's like, oh, well, who's to choose? And Spock's like, me? <laughs> I'm the commanding officer. Boma's like, you wouldn't be interested in drawing lots, but he's mad. He's like, and you wouldn't be interested in like doing lots because you don't care about us. Which um, is sort of just like... <sighs> I don't know where that comes from too. Maybe he just hasn't like had enough experience with people um, working together, but I just felt like that's a pretty grand accusation just to come out of right field, especially when we haven't yeah. seen that necessarily. Like 
we see him be really logical, but then it always reverts back around to helping people. So that was the part yeah. that I was just sort of like, again. Like, none of these people know yeah. Scott. Like, they have to not know him very well in order to be making these assumptions. Um, so, I mean, Spockyman says, what a quaint idea, Mr. Boma, but I'm better qualified to make a an assessment than lots. Boom. Which, to be fair, yes. What an insensitive but, like, thing to say in the woo! moment. Like, Yeah. Uh, so Spock leaves. Boma is like, if any minor damage was overlooked, it was when they put his head together. And then McCoy, a traitor, just like, you know what? I would like to foment a mutiny real quick. He goes, not in his head, Mr. Boma, his heart. His heart. That McCoy, fucking. What the fuck? It, like, I'm, like, McCoy was sick of Spock's shit? When does that happen? Like, McCoy's always, like, sick of Spock's shit, but, like, he's on Spock's side, like, overall. Like, this is, like, you don't hear him talking bad about Spock behind Spock's yes, back. Yes, that's exactly it. And that feels really different than what he does to Spock's face. Um, so, this is, like, one of our first Spock and Boma interactions. Um... And they are, they're fucking pissed at each other. It's sizzling, sizzling. And um, Don said, um, Don Marshall said that there weren't really roles like this for black men at that time when you could just be angry at and speak up to a white man and the conflict's not about race. Mm, Like one, you get to be an angry black man on yeah. screen like you get to just be an angry person and two you're being angry at a white man and three like it literally none of the conflict is about yeah. race it's just it's about um, duty it's it about isn't. well it's yeah. about duty and humanity and yeah. care and compassion yeah um so i thought that was like so interesting because basically throughout this i'm just like what an insubordinate dude because he is wildly insubordinate throughout all of this. I always forget insubordination is like a thing and something you can be charged with. So whenever people disobey yeah. orders, I'm just sort of like, yeah, whatever. I just don't think about it. But you're right. They are all risking themselves mm-hmm. when they disobey a, yeah. a superior officer. Mm-hmm. Especially in these kinds of situations where like, I am pretty not about hierarchies mm, in yeah. general. Uh, but I do fully understand situations in which a hierarchy needs to be maintained to varying degrees of severity. One of which being extreme life or death situations. Oh yes, like for this, sure. You know, um, but if you don't trust your superior officer because you don't know them and they're saying shit like, "Oh, the way to three grown men." That's what we'll throw out of the ship. Like your, your, your thought process is probably not going to go. Oh, okay. Well, he must mean three bodies worth of equipment. You're just going to go. He just said three bodies. Like what the fuck? Yeah. Like he's he. Yeah. So you don't feel like he's on your side. Yeah. You know. Um. So while out on the scouting expedition, Latimer and Guaitano start to hear these grinding sounds this rhythmic sort of just like grinding sounds coming from all around them i was couldn't figure out what the fuck that was it was like i was a lot of times when they do sound effects i listen because i I was trained to do foley and so i can sometimes Mm -hmm. figure out how 
certain sounds are made, but this one was just weird AF. <laughs> yeah. Uh, at some point, Spock says that it sounds to him like l- stone on leather, yeah, which, which it doesn't sound like to me. It sounds almost just like a wood block. Yeah, like, I, I just didn't. I, I, I would, like I'm curious if the Foley people actually did leather on stone, right? and that just happens to be what it sounds like. But that's the weird thing about Foley sometimes is when you actually mm-hmm. do the things in real life, Sometimes they don't, they don't sound, sound like what the thing it is. So you basically have to yeah. fake it because you're like, well, it doesn't, <laughs> it doesn't sound good enough to be a door or whatever. Um, which I don't think I've ever mentioned this fact, but since we're talking about Foley and sound effects, uh, I'm sure you know this, but a little trivia question. Do you know how they made the sound effects of the doors in Star Trek? Ooh, no. How? <gasps> oh, it is. I'm sure I've heard this yes, before, but I have no idea. It's simple. It, it is so weird when you think about it. It's, it's a, a like piece a of paper going in and out of an envelope. They took a piece Whoa! of paper, I believe, in a manila envelope and just went up, swip, and then down, swip. That is the sound of it. It's Whoa! just a piece of paper and another piece of paper making friction. But it made just the lightest enough noise that it sounds like whoosh. a shoosh. Yeah. It's just the, it's just the movement. Wow. Yeah. And it kind of sounds like... That like that does kind of sound like uh, automatic doors. Yeah. Oh too. yeah. Exactly. Like that's so cool. It is so cool. I, it, yeah. But that's just one of those facts that I remember learning back in the day that that was how they made the door. And I think because they also copied that and maybe did that in Star Wars as well. Hmm. Oh, that's awesome. Um. So they are so Latimer and Gaetano. They're they're hearing these weird rocks. And they decide we got to run because we're encountering these strange creatures that we barely see. When suddenly a gigantic spear. A comically oversized Looney Tunes sized spear comes flying. Out of just nowhere, like almost just like hefted onto the scene and fucking down goes Latimer. Latimer is dead. He is speared. He's staked to that ground. There will be no zombie remains. There will be no return. Lieutenant uh, Latimer, you have earned our Captain Matthews Award of the uh, day yes. as as an honorary red shirt, red shirted person. Yes. Because even though, again, the the people who do die more than one are all the yellow mm-hmm. shirts, and so we can't. Te- it, it is a honorary one because they can't actually be a red shirt winner unless it's red. Mm-hmm. It needs to be red, but. Uh, there's one other comical death that I will I will give for a honorable mention mm-hmm. in this episode. But yeah, just the silliness yes. of that spear coming out of nowhere. Mm-hmm. That was the only element of camp that was a bit there. But also, it's super hokey. It was really so hokey. hokey. And the creature design, again, we barely see him because I'm sure they looked bad. Well, I guess we do see well, one of them full-bodied in a moment later. But yes. they don't look that great. We do. But this is where we first see one thing in addition to the creatures. Uh we don't see his body or the spear sticking out of yeah. it. Yeah. Why? Because NBC was like, you have to cover this with more smoke. So the the extra oh fog covering his body was added in post because NBC was like, it's gr- too grotesque. And that included multiple close-up shots of the faces of these creatures, which they decided were too ugly, like too spooky. Oh, oh to be got shown. it. Okay. 
So instead, it just looks like they're not getting footage of it because it looks bad. Yeah, and that's what. It, but like you know, Jaws did the element well of not showing the shark mm-hmm. as much because it was just the the mechanics of it fucked up. So they basically like, well, this we can't like do what we want. This is like the opposite. But this is yeah of that principle. Yeah, they sort of like just were like, no, nah, this is too. It's too spoopy. It's too spoopy if you have too the spoopy. monsters on there. So just you know, hide them a bit more. Too spoopy. Uh, so. Gaetano, he's been shooting off his phaser, just sort of blind into the area. Um, is found, and he's found by Spock and Boma. He's slumped over. He's staring. He's dumbfounded at the death of his buddy. Uh, he runs a bit ahead and makes sure the giant is gone, or Spock does this, returns and examines the spear. And he's like, oh, this is a f- similar to the Folsom point. This is a type of 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 arche- or an archaeological find they call it the Folsom point because it was in Folsom I think Santa Fe uh or Folsom California one of the Folsoms oh. there's a lot of them where they just found archaeological evidence of a type of spear spear that was made by individuals indigenous to the area during the stone age yeah really interesting that um, um they used a uh historical reference uh mm-hmm. from there cuz looking it up it was from uh, Folsom, New Mexico. You are right New in Mexico. that. And the first one was found in 1908. Yes. And he's just like, yeah, they're, they're pretty crude and non-efficient. Okay. Yeah. The thing that just killed our buddy is crude and not efficient. Uh, what? Boma's like, that's all you have to say? That it's not very efficient? Spock's like, am I an error? Mr. Boma, which is the thing I like to say a lot, um, but I say it like, am I wrong? <laughs> Whereas Spock's just like, am I wrong though? Um, like, like honestly, like curious. But for almost. real though. Um, and Boma's like, you error in a possible, you sick fuck. Oh, he, I, there's a, I couldn't believe again, just the combativeness yeah. of it. Like it is one of the most aggressive yeah. we see crew members be on there. And for a reason, like one of them just died and like Spock is yeah. just acting like, well, that's the cost of missions. And now we just have to factor in this, you know, part of it and do all the yeah. calculations here thereof of what this blah, blah, blah. Instead of stopping and just being like, holy shit, this yeah. giant spear came out like Wiley Coyote was dropping something on the Roadrunner, and then he's straight up. We can't even. He's so gruesome. There's fog that's hiding it. Yeah, he's straight up. He goes, "There's a man lying here, dead, and you want to talk about stone spears? Like, what about Latimer?" And he's like, "My concern for the dead will not bring him back." <laughs> Which Ugh. again, wild. It's tr- again, guys, true, yeah. but not right yeah. for the moment. That's when Gaetano's like, well, Mr. Spock, in the interest of efficiency, which he says in a very sarcastic way, I don't think we should leave this body here. Like, we need to take the body, which, true. And Spock's like, yeah, no, good point. Like, here, can I help you? And they're like, no, we got it. Like, don't touch our buddy. And, and like, Spock's almost kind of hurt. I absolutely get this as someone who often puts uh, their foot in their mouth. By saying just wildly inappropriate things at inappropriate times, because I am not thinking. I'll like I'll just say something ridiculous or way too existential. 
Um, I do the same thing and then everyone's in the like, chat. What the fuck? I do the same thing in chat for Twitch all the time. I yeah. feel like, but the difference is, I have to type all of that out, so I should be having enough time to think about what I'm saying. And most <laughs> of the time, I'm like, yeah, just say it. Any any time that I mention <laughs> any sort of bodily fluids, mainly ejaculate, it always yes. just ends up being like, should I bring up cum? It's like always yeah. bring up cum. Why are you so always? Why are you so cum always. cum averse? Like it's fine. Exactly. So, here is where I have another little story about Boma and Spock. Okay. We have our, so, Don Marshall, when he came onto this show, realized, oh shit, the gist of Robert Gist, the gist of my deal with Robert Gist, is that he had taken an acting class from him (gasps) and had left that class because according to him, all just wanted is for them to act like James Dean. He's like, they all want to, they want, he was like, he wants me to be like, you know, kind of interior yeah. and just turning in on myself oh my and kind God. of stumbling. Yeah, 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 because that was what was going on at the time. So he probably was just mm-hmm. doing a carbon copy of it, but not probably yep. getting at the heart or giving it the time for like what you would need yeah. for like the Adler school of like naturalism and like the, yeah. the Brando and the James Dean. And I get what was going on at the time, but oh my God. Yeah. Oh yeah. boy. So on set, this was like one of the first things they were shooting. And what uh, Gist wanted was for Boma, for Don to be like uh, his back against the wall, for him to turn around. So it, when he, when Spock starts talking, so that he turns from his back to Spock, to looking at Spock, and, the, and to be sort of like stuttering and sort of like in on himself. And he's like, I am an astrophysicist. I'm a and capable this human being. <laughs> feel right. Like this doesn't feel right. And and he was clearly kind of down about it. Um and so Leonard Nimoy was like, "Hey Don, like what's going on? Like what's up?" And Don was like, "I don't know if I should be telling you this. Like you can't do anything about this, but this guy wants me to act like James Dean and I just don't think that's right for this scene." And Leonard Nimoy was like, "I understand." Uh do the scene how you want to do it, and I'll take care of the director. <gasps> no. And Gist never bothered him about the performance no. again. Oh my no. god! I want <laughs> to know what Leonard Nimoy said to that director in this moment right? more than I want to know who actually killed JFK. Just kidding. We know who killed it. Right? It was Lee Harvey Oswald. I don't know why people think this is fucking so <laughs> serious. Like, what are you talking about? But why? Was it under alien brainwashing or CIA oh, brainwashing? Oh, <laughs> it was it was done by CIA right. assassin Grassy Knoll. <laughs> but isn't that fantastic? He said he's like yeah. Nutter Nimoy was one of the most beautiful people. Like him and Gene Roddenberry and- were so interested in letting the actors act. And in letting them portray their future and portray their characters. And you frequently use the word mensch to describe Letter Nimoy. Mm-hmm. And time and time again, that proves to be true. He always mm-hmm. steps up and comes to bat for his yeah. fellow actors. And that's the thing, too. Is that it's He like also talks a lot about himself, and we, he's very thoughtful about Spock, and we hear that a mm-hmm. lot. And he, but it sounds like he's never pushy in that regard. He always just like having yeah. more conversation. But it always sounds like he just like, doesn't fuck around when it comes to other people's yeah. problems. Like, you, you know, just if yeah. there is a issue, because you talked about also um, how, um, I can't remember the actor actress, but Janice Rand, 
um, how yes. when she, Grace Lee Whitney, yes, Grace Lee Whitney, yeah. during her troubles and when the she was assault and all of that, and that she went to Spock, yeah, or no went to Spock, job. went to Leonard yeah. Nimoy. Yeah, she talked to him, told him, and he didn't fuck around even for a second, um, and was really doing his best for people. Uh, also, in this episode, was one of the first times that Scotty and Spock get to act together yeah. it was the first time james doonan was one-on-one with uh leonard nimoy and he said that like leonard nimoy's the fucking best oh like, great he was he, there's he's so professional and kind and like yeah and like really wants to like be with you in a scene in a way that you always had a good scene people would say with shatner because shatner was so good and so dynamic and so like He's kind of like um, the George Lucas talk show guys in that anyone on screen with them is going to do good yes. because they are giving their energy he- to that person versus like with Leonard Nimoy, like he's always going to do good. But are you like, are you going to be there with him in the scene? He'll do everything he can to be there with you in the scene. Uh, and what's so interesting for him is that he is given a set of parameters where most of acting is reacting and it is yep. facial work. It is body language. It is vocal tones. It is all those things that we don't necessarily actively think about. I mean, I actively think about it cause that's just my brain, but uh, you know, just the way that you talk and all those things and presenting mm-hmm. and the code switching that we may or may not do around everyone we're with as Goffman, as, as, as Eugene, or I think Eugene Goffman. Thank you, Gene. As Eugene Goffman says, one of my favorite books I've read, he talks about the masks that we wear and everyone is basically mm-hmm. acting in real life and we just wear different masks for different occasions with it all. And he has to be masked with so yes. little emotional response. He is given no room to react in a way that we would expect from humans because he's not human. And that's yeah. what makes him so fascinating. But to be able to deliver stellar performances with such constricted body language, such constricted mm-hmm. vocal tones, and to make that like and just fully realize it as an active character that everyone loves and the crew also enjoys. Mm-hmm. It, it, the I cannot understate the immensement of that challenge. And I just fucking love Spock. That's why Spock's always been my mm-hmm. favorite, I think. Because yeah. I always know how like that, like an actor did that. Like Leonard Nimoy yeah. made that character. So yeah, I and the thing about Kirk is Kirk has such big energy. He gets to mm-hmm. react. Mm-hmm. He get, and, and Shatner is great at that. Give him someone to play yeah. off of, anyone, and he's going to listen and respond and totally oh, yeah. be in the moment. Even if sometimes, you know, he there's that we hear about that response for him wanting that spotlight ever so much. Yeah. I, it is partly because he's good. It's hard to deny how good, good he is. Like, like I get yeah. it. And that's one of the frustrating parts because, like, you look at him now, like, I mean, dude's old. Like, he is old, old, old sauce old. And he can still, like, act really good. Mm -hmm. Like, when he's not acting, I'm kind of like, wow, I hate that man. (laughs) Like, excuse me. 
grandpa, what are you doing here, you racist fuck? Well, it's uh, okay now because he went but... to space and he saw Earth and everything is yeah. meaningless <laughs> and we are all a big part of the void. And I love that him going actually into space, that Captain Kirk, Captain Kirk going into space broke him and he's now living his last like, few oh years in a constant existential crisis. That he's been, he's so. 90 years old and he's going to spend the rest of his life just being like, we are dirt, we are ants it is there's <laughs> nothing on earth that we can do that is significant because we are all just dust it's so fucking funny it is it is absolutely fucking hilarious um but speaking of captain's log we continue to search but i find it more difficult each moment to ward off a sense of utter futility and great loss those are his two bffs and that's not a good sign when you're starting to in your mind already lose people or someone Mm -hmm. and you're like "Uh uh-oh i'm i'm i am having in my brain death just like shatner suffered Mm -hmm. ego death when he went into space (laughs) it's that where it's like (laughs) i am i am i'm killing them in my mind so that i can grieve before they get ahead that's never a good place to be (laughs) not a good place to be no uh there are no changes in the sensors the search party has found no one finally kirk is like look increase the amount that you're searching like leave bigger gaps in between your you know array Mm -hmm. of searching and zulu's like we're gonna leave big gaps in our search area but kirk's like that also means we have a fighting chance to cover the majority of the planet's surface yes so he's desperate and like in my mind i i don't know if ferris is already on the bridge but in my mind the doors open to the elevator and Ferris just taps his watch because exactly. it does tap it, his fucking watch it is and goes so 24 funny. hours, Kirk! And then like the doors close Yes, it is, it is literally that. It is so funny. <laughs> and so the parallel back to the Stargate episode um, that I watched for Not a Hate Watch, uh, this is sort of like when they realize they can narrow down the field and like the point of entry and they're sort of like, okay, we've narrowed down the planets and it's basically like, okay, we we know within a range where it is and they're now just like searching each one individually this is kind of how like they're searching the surface of this planet to try and Mm -hmm. find you know as they said a needle in the haystack um quite literally and Mm -hmm. uh i can't i gotta get to the reveal of that episode because we're on the planet's surface and there's not a great point to get into here but the twist of that episode is i think you Mm -hmm. you know this don't you uh emily because i think you said earlier it's, i did listen to it yes oh that's right you, oh that's right you talked yes quite. you were yeah. talking about it was a great episode that i'm not a hate watch not a great episode of stargate <laughs> okay great so the twist that yeah, i haven't that, seen that episode of stargate for oh over yeah 20 years. so the twist in that in the end is that they're searching for them and they ended up being on earth the entire time <gasps> so the stargate that bounced was on uh, they think it's like and the people who are trapped think it's a snow planet that is uninhabited <gasps> but they're actually in antarctica and so they've been on yes. Earth the entire time. So that's the one. But like, that. that is where you have this kind of thing. We are nearing the search and you're getting closer and closer in. Mm-hmm. And that's like a fun Twilight zone twist. Like, oh, it was Earth the entire time. But done in mm-hmm. a setup where, okay, the payoff at the end is is sort of worth it because you have the building here. But on yeah. this, it's like, okay, they're getting onto the planet. They know what planet basically they're on to begin with. Yeah. And then they're nearing the search to be on the surface. And you're sort of like, okay, it's a big planet. But also like, 
you have a bunch of time. So I I just yeah. feel like I never feel like the odds are against them. And I'm not even saying that in a yeah. because we know they're going to survive at the end. It's more of the stakes of the scenario never yeah. felt to me like, oh, they're never going to find them. Because they're basically like, well, and we know we narrowed it down shown. really quickly. It's just here's the planet. And we're but it, and the only way they explain it is that we'll have to make visual contact. But, mm-hmm. but they're also just n- being able to narrow it all down real quickly too. So it's just sort of like I feel like you're gonna have time. I feel like you're gonna you're gonna get this. And like the main stakes they're building is like Kirk doesn't know if they're alive. That is true. And they don't know if the Enterprise is already left. And we know that. But they every are time, alive. yeah. But we and we know that the Enterprise is still yeah. there. So we don't have any of those stakes. So we can't feel any of those stakes yeah so yeah so i think that that's that's something that they're trying very hard to do but just doesn't work in this episode but you gotta love a guy just opening elevator doors to tap on his fucking wrist i had a man do that to me when i was opening a coffee (gasps) shop he like stood outside he like tried to open and he finally tapped his goddamn watch at me and i just sat there and i made sure i was standing at the hostess thing for the entire two minutes until we actually opened as a person i didn't even go to finish like you know what i couldn't set up i just stood as a person who opened restaurants i nick i get it right it's like hey i was like you like, hey, I want my food early. It's like, hey, I want to not break laws. I want to not be here right now. So fuck you. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> it's just wild. Um, so back inside the shuttlecraft, McCoy and the yeoman, you know, they tell uh, Mr. Spot they got 150 pounds off the Galileo. And he's like, that's fantastic. Um, but we're still 150 pounds overweight. And McCoy's like, I I can't believe you're serious about leaving someone behind now that we know there's something out there. And Spock's like, it is more rational to sacrifice one life than six lives. And there we get it. There's the rub where now we're actually talking about it. It's one of those. Yes. You ever have like a class? Uh, uh, or I guess in one of my classes in college, uh, I, had, I basically had mm-hmm. to take like uh, an introductory speech class. And one of the scenarios we did was like ethical situations where it's like, oh, you have a mm-hmm. cure for cancer. And here's like a list of 15 people. And you have to pick which three are going to be the ones you give the cancer cure to. And here's yeah. the list of all their traits and like the good and the negative. And then it's sort of like, yeah. well, do you pick the people who was like a convict? Is that going to take them off their list? Is it because this person's old? Do you take them off the mm-hmm. list? This one's like an actual child, like eight years old. So mm-hmm. like, oh, do you still sympathy for that? Or is it not logical because this person's like an actual doctor? And yeah, mm-hmm. whenever you get into that, you're yeah. fucked. You are so <laughs> fucked. And I never ever want to be in a position where I have to make that decision because it would break me. I would pick myself every oh, yeah. single time. I would not be able to be the one who would send someone out. Mm-hmm. I would just be like, it's fine. Leave me. It's all good. I I will entertain myself until I am, you know, perished. But like, yeah. no, I, that is, this is so fucked. Yeah. This is also, this is the first time that the very popular, you know, the, the lives of the many matter more than the lives of the few yeah, or the one. Yeah. And that is a very famous Spock quote. And this is the first time that Spock brings up that this element of 
rationality or rather this element of utilitarianism which that's like a base tenet of utilitarianism which is a philosophy that was like around the 1800s yeah, yeah, yeah. and arose at a similar time as like factory stuff which is very interesting because we typically consider it to be correct because on the whole it feels right yes because it i mean i would i would argue that to a large degree it is right that like you know maybe everyone should have some money and not just elon musk um sort of Mm, things but yeah 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 spock says it's more rational to sacrifice one life than six and mccoy's like i'm not talking about rationality to which spock says you might be wise to start slamming back at them after they were attacking him for you know not having emotions he's like well maybe that's the best case in this scenario that's when boma sticks his head in and is like we're ready for the services out here and spock's like excuse me uh and he's like yeah the 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 services for latimer the guy who died were like doing a funeral for him and spock's like we don't have time there are creatures out there we are getting attacked by creatures and we also need to like get out of here so that the enterprise can like see us because they don't they're not gonna be able to get us on ground like they truly truly do not have time Mm -hmm. like spock is truly correct here and you have to think like okay well if boma doesn't trust spock then he might think to himself, we're all dead anyways. And before I die, I'm going to do what I think is morally right, which is to dare bury my, my fellow. Um, but they really don't have the fucking time. Uh, Boma's like the man's dead. He deserves a burial. You are the captain. A few words, which is interesting. Boma's like you Spock should be saying something. McCoy it's literally Spock's like maybe the doctor can say something, you know, the humanist here. Um, and McCoy is like, Spock, you're the one who's supposed to talk. Like, fuck all of you. He's also the most qualified next to Scotty in terms of engineering. So if anyone was going to take a second to say some words, how about not the dude trying to fix the ship with the specialized knowledge to do so? I am, it is, I am fascinated that you are such a Spock stand that you are hard, hardcore defending him. And I'm curious. I would be really curious. I don't, I don't think you're wrong, but I also don't think the others are wrong, if that makes any sense. And here's the weird Fair. thing about it. And this is really funny because you're saying that he's correct and he is correct. But this is one of those annoying situations when people who are correct aren't also aren't necessarily right. Cause you're right. They don't yeah. have the time for it, but in the end they do make it. So they did have the time for it. So in the end, like they actually yeah. did, but you're right in that the correctness of to do this yeah. according to plan that makes the most sense. It doesn't, but that is time and time again, a fiction it's great reveals is when we're told you can't do something and then you end up doing it. Like hooray, mm-hmm. hooray in the end. I mean, yeah, and McCoy says it like, we may all die here, at least let us die like men, not machines. Yeah. Fuck you, McCoy. <laughs> oh my God, I don't think we've ever had a fuck you, McCoy before. <laughs> I can't even say that. I can't bring myself to disagree with him on here. I this, hate it. I'm living in the gray. Down. I see both sides. I I don't know. This is one of my like things as a like, a fucking ADD like autistic like person mm-hmm. like growing up and as like a child like 
being compared to a machine. Yeah. Being compared to a robot in that dehumanizing oh, that makes, way yes. is so triggering yes. for me. I, okay. Because that's such a thing to just throw at people where it's like, no, like, actually, you're the one who's acting like a psychopath right yes. now. And I, and I, I'm not. <laughs> and I, I didn't necessarily want to bring it up because I'm not a person who is oh, autistic. No, no, no. And so I didn't want to, like, code it that way or think about it that way. But I absolutely yeah. It reminded yeah. me of friends of mine who are on the spectrum and yeah. sometimes inability to stop and process the emotions of them around you because they are taking yeah. in the information directly and they are processing yeah. that. That is something with my OCD and ADD I am very similar to. In fact, when I learned that mm -hmm. the gene for ADHD is basically like a flip side of the coin for autism, oh, it, it yeah. makes a lot of more sense why... <laughs> <laughs> a lot of people think that I'm a little autistic things. and it's like I I don't want to say it's great yeah. except the fact that I'm tested for it but it was just one of the things like yeah I get being like super informationally on there so I I naturally tend to side with Spock too but in this case I I mm -hmm. I also understand like death is hard yeah. death is yeah. such a huge game changer that yeah. like when you're factoring that in you're it's 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 always going to be messy it is just going to be especially thinking like you're processing it these these men were just like on a science yeah. thing. They weren't expecting to be going down into like a dangerous place of that they sort. They shouldn't have landed on a um, planet or have to land on a planet to begin with. Yeah. And so, yeah. So Spock, by first things first, I hope to, Spock's like, I'm going to use logic. I'm going to do first one thing at a time. Get us out of here alive. McCoy is like, we're going to, we might all die here. Let's die like men. Just be more emotional in the right way, Spock. Just be correct. Just understand. Ugh. Okay. Well, meanwhile, um, Scott and Spock are continuing to try and repair everything when suddenly Scotty, like, breaks the thing and all of the remaining fuel is lost. Yeah. Which, to which Spock replies, uh, that would seem to solve the problem of who to leave behind. Again, <laughs> just like this turns everyone into their worst version of themselves. Like, it is just, I... Again, this is why I can't stand Spock in this moment. He is he is begging really? them too. Like, yeah, like literally. I feel like that was a joke. I mean, kind of, but also like you, it's hard in the moment to take oh. it the wrong way. I think it was a joke, but it is just they're all yeah, they're all meaning meaning none of them can leave. Not meaning oh, we'll leave you behind. Yeah, Scott. yeah, meaning yeah. None of us are getting out of here. Oh, you're right. You're right. Exactly Not okay. I, I thought he was. Yeah, I yeah, took yeah. it as he was specifically telling Scotty, like, well, if we do get this like fixed up, we're gonna we are gonna leave you oh, specifically no. behind because yeah, because of this. Like, yeah. no, you're right. Now it's it's no. all there stuck on there. Yeah. yeah. So that's exactly the kind of shit that I would say because that's funny as fuck. Yes, and you're right. It would that break is the tension funny. for me. <laughs> that is actually funny. And that's <laughs> like, that's, well, I guess we're all gonna die. That is Fox's sense of humor. He always is, he is a great observational comedian and has the driest yes. sense of wit because he will just point yes. out irony. That's and that's my type of humor. <laughs> is I I dig in on irony a lot, and but. That's the thing is that Spock then still isn't able to lead through irony. And that's part of what yeah. he is dealing with here is the, the the irony that when it is the most urgent for them to not, as he said, waste time, to be conservative mm -hmm. of it, to manage it well, is also the time when, because death is involved, 
they need to take emotional time to process it, which is just as important yeah. as like this, where you are in time and space. <laughs> Cause that is part of your time and space is your emotions. Um, yeah. It's just wild. And, yeah. Um, but he, he is able to lead Scott a bit. Like Scott's like, we're fucked. And he's like, consider alternatives. Like there are always alternatives, Mr. Scott. Good, good and throughout this, you don't pushing them see him. He really does not clash at all with Scotty. He and Scotty like seem to be, if not on the same page, like there is no conflict yeah. at all between them. They communicate very well together. They you get the impression and you learn this on Strange New Worlds that like they do know each other very yeah. well. They've known each other for longer than McCoy knows any of them. And Scotty also is so grounded. He's the, probably the yes. most grounded, realistic character and not necessarily like, mm-hmm. in, not in the way that people who are pessimists say they're realists, an yeah. actual realist. Um, and yes. that's why I think he gets it's like, a, I cannot do it, Captain, yes. but I'm going to keep trying. Exactly. <laughs> and he is, he will try, try again. He's always the person mm-hmm. to try. And that's why he's such a great engineer because engineers have to, mm-hmm. the, engineers expect failure and always, because then that is the preparation of trying something new and just doing something mm-hmm. different. And he comes up with a great plan. Yeah. And, and, um, one thing in the future. So in an apocrypha, like in a book, um, one of the Star Trek books, it is later revealed that Scotty actually does report Boma for insubordination Ooh. and gets him kicked out of Starfleet because Spock didn't put any oh, of that stuff in his report. Because Spock wouldn't like Spock's whole thing is that he wouldn't, but Scotty's like, "Fuck you for treating my Spock this way." Wow, <laughs> that's a wingman like just sweeping in, being right? like, "And alley-oop. The, oh, Pretty much. oh no! Do you know? Do you know, want to know the parallel irony here? Is that huh. Don Marshall, the actor, was attempted to yes. get blacklisted by uh, by That's person within point. it, and in this, he gets kicked out of Starfleet, so essentially blacklisted from his service. Mm-hmm. I'm like, what? So outside, uh, we can start hearing those lovely noises again. Oh, yeah, that mysterious sound, like. It's wood on leather. Uh, Boma is like, well, if these Torians are a tribal culture and thereby have a sense of unity, uh, the crew can use that to take advantage. Like maybe if we hurt one of them, we will dissuade the rest from hurting the rest of us because they will be afraid. They'll think, oh, like we are like our friend and therefore we could be killed. So McCoy and Guaitano are like, yeah, that, I mean, that makes mm-hmm. sense to us as well. And Spock is like, I am frequently appalled by the low regard you Earthmen have for life. Yeah. He was just okay. like, don't hurt one of them. That's not logical because they are a the creature that is just doing their thing. You know, they don't yeah. know. Which, they don't know we're humans. They don't under, we're just invaders to them. And there is, again, this sort of thing between compassion and kindness yeah like where spock does not have the kindness ability to be like oh these people just need like three words from me to be like i'm your captain and i'm also sad he's dead like but he has 
the compassion to be like, why would you suggest hurting something? He does. Uh, violence is not the first response that we should do to any scenario. Mm-hmm. So he's always going to challenge mm-hmm. the, you know, human rationale response of being violent and needing, you know, to exert that yeah. on there. And this is a fun thing because Gaetano's like, well, the majority has voted for this yeah. plan. And Spock goes, I am not interested in the opinion of the majority. Mr. Catano, components must be weighed. Our danger to ourselves as well as our duties to other life forms, friendly or Surprise, not. Surprise, bitch. We're there a... is a third course. Surprise, bitch. We're a hierarchy. Surprise, bitch. Um, I fucking loved this. This was such a like, who fucking cares if the majority says it? If it's wrong, it's wrong. You know, which is he is taking leadership. Know? He is commanding in his yeah. role. It, it's. I, I also want to say earlier when I was laughing about you being a Spock stan, I don't want to necessarily disagree with the decisions that Spock is making. I want to make that clear. It is more just oh, yeah. hilarious. It's it's funny yeah. that it's highlighted in this episode <laughs> just how on a Vulcan spectrum we'll say he yeah. is. Because they also because it's obviously a learned emotionlessness. That's part of the yeah. whole, and he's half human, so we know he does yes. have emotions buried in him that he has to deal with so it is like on that spectrum but it's just so funny how he misses like all these cues they give him so many times to basically give any sort of like compassionate Mm -hmm. empathetic response and he just fucking fails even though he's doing good technical leadership yeah doing good technical leadership he is staying true to his values uh which are values of of non-violence and all the things that we would say, like, oh, those are good things. But we see how then without that veneer, no one can recognize them as good things, which is something that Spock learns throughout the course of Leonard Nimoy playing Spock, yeah, yeah. which is so cool because you get to see old man Spock, like, understanding when people need him to have a smile or, like, mm-hmm be a little bit more, but still being true to himself. And that's something that um, I found interesting, and, and we're just about to get to it, is how he mm. responds when people directly tell that him, yes. this is the emotional response that I need from you in this moment, which I also get. Mm-hmm. A lot of times I'm able to read people and be like, okay, uh, what I'm doing right now isn't working, so tell me, mm-hmm. tell me how I can best do this for you right now because I want to be able to, to work with you on this. Yeah. And I can change myself and get that and code switch on there. So people learn. So he's then trying to do exactly what they say and copying. Like it's very interesting mm-hmm. because I feel like his, his kindness in this moment when he's trying, he makes his effort. It is effortful. Like you see him having to make the decision mm-hmm. to do the it's almost like i'm doing the cultural thing here that is empathetic but i'm like i'm not part of this culture so i'm like a little bit behind and a little bit stiff in offering to do this exactly so he proposes why don't we just go near the giants and scare the shit out of them we'll we'll blast some stuff they'll be like oh god phasers and they'll run away fear will do for us what we don't want to do with violence um, so he and Gaetano and Boma, they, they, they pad on through the exterior rocks set. Um, when a giant spear is sort of heaved into frame yes. and falls sort straight of, to the of, ground. Sort of plops into the screen. 
Spock fires at the assailant, uh, and a, and a shield is sort of heaved into frame, a gigantic shield that like covers like all of the guys. Um, they're like, oh no, the mists. Like, ah, and Gaetano's like, I just want to fucking shoot him. And Spock's like, I know that, but fortunately I am giving orders. So take aim, please. Another like Spock, come on. Yep. Just <laughs> okay. We know you're a little know-it-all bitch and you are being a prissy bitch, and I kind of love he it. Is a but <laughs> he's such a know-it-all. Again, that's why I relate to he's Spock, because I'm a fucking little know-it-all and I can't help it. It <laughs> sucks. Too. It sucks so bad to be a know-it-all. Oh, like the, it can be the best when people need information, but when you when they don't, you're just like, uh, I don't know what else to give you right now. So they shoot a bunch of times. It seems like the monsters go away. They're like, sweet. Let's head back to the shuttlecraft. Uh, Gaetano, stay here to stay guard and communicate with the ship. Uh, and he's like, okay. And Boma like puts his hand on Gaetano's shoulder before he yeah. leaves. Um, because this is a scary situation. You're in the same situation as Latimer, who just died. Uh, so that's another moment where Spock really drops the ball. Yeah. Uh, Some, someone else fills the emotional, mm-hmm. and in this case, physical role that yeah. Spock should have been doing. Yeah. Um, so Spock, so S- when they get back, Scotty's like, I have an idea. What we're going to do is we're going to take our phasers. We're going to drain the power for them and put them in the ship. Hell yeah. It's- I um, there's not a good parallel for that in real life because I was trying to think of like I know, well, take the bullets so, yeah the and, and then like I'm like take the gunpowder for the guns and get the engine busted yeah. I don't really know there's no it's not one for one but I found that really interesting that it is the sort of melting down our weapons in order to like do something mm-hmm. else they are making themselves vulnerable to attack in order to escape exactly. Um, they're like, well, if the giants come back, we're fucked. But I mean, if we can't get off this planet, yeah. we're fucked. So um, Scott begins the modifications. Everyone hands over their uh, guns. On the Enterprise, uh, the transporters are now operational. And Kirk's like, sweet, we're going to beam some folks down to go look for our guys. Meanwhile, Gaetano is panicked. He is freaking out. He's outside. A rock comes into frame and knocks the phaser out of his hand. Then another spear is thrown. And we see in the boogeyman pose, meaning hands up in the air with like your wrists forward. Like, oh, I'm a bear. (laughs) I'm coming at you. I'm a bear. We see a tall-ish man. Draw being a bear and coming at Gatano, and we see this guy's back and he's wearing furs. It was a bit Sasquashy. <laughs> I think that's why I was just yeah. like, uh, like I raised an eyebrow because it's like, oh, it's like a, a tribe of off, like Yeti snow monsters because they had white but gray fur. It just was like, yeah, it. it yeah. I think the problem that I think why I think they looked bad is that we see their mm-hmm. backs all the time, and you can clearly yeah. see the like shaggy fabric that they used to patch on Mm -hmm. to the back and that's what a lot of i think creature design at the time in my opinion struggled Mm -hmm. with um but when you see their face the faces are actually good like when the uh, in a moment coming up when we see more of the body it doesn't look as bad 
No. Uh, but it it especially is just so great because this person is clearly half the size of the spear that he is supposed to have been throwing. So I love that. Um, <laughs> later, Spock, McCoy, and Boma, they arrive at Gaetano's last known position and he is nowhere to be found, but his phaser is on the dun, ground. Dun, dun. Spock is like, all right, you two take this gun Get your asses back to the craft. I, however, am going to uh, find Gaetano. And Boma's like, you can't do any of these things. That is very dangerous. And Spock is like, well, in that case, I would like you to take my phaser as well, because you're going to need it to get the fuck out of here. And I have a scientific curiosity uh, concerning what happened to a certain Mr. Gaetano. So, uh... Yeah, Bye. and again, this Runs is his off. decision where he's learning, he's listening, and mm-hmm. is able to logic his way into being compassionate by saying, scientifically, it is curious to me when mm-hmm. I see a situation where there is a phaser, but no person. Ergo, I have to do my scientific process, which includes yep. the hypothesis of walking about because I think he's he's gone or dead or injured. <laughs> like, yeah, mm-hmm. it's a very, it's just that line again. To a T, really gets at the core of Spock, and I love, I love that we dropped it. Okay, yeah, it's funny that I talked about this episode and it being like boring and not so much, but we have actually talked a lot about it, and especially with yeah, Spock's character, there's a lot. like that, I think is the yes. most interesting development of this episode is Spock's character, and maybe that's why so many people like this episode is because yeah. of that. But I, I think I just got lost in the plot is my problem. Yeah. Just talking about it, there was some interesting in developments happening oh, in yeah. that I don't think I necessarily thought about in the moment of there. Mm-hmm. It gets kind of bogged down. But at this point, McCoy says to Boma, again, McCoy, what the fuck? He goes, I don't know what he's doing. He'll risk his neck looking, locating Gaetano, and if he finds him, he's just as liable to order him to stay behind. Great you joke. You tell me. Great fucking joke. That that was that was pretty funny. That was pretty fire right there. Uh, so sneaking up to the Torians, Spock finds Gaetano's lifeless body and carries it back to the shuttlecraft. Again, but learning the, the thing that they said, mm-hmm. you know, the concerns of the humans, those humans and their need for bodies to to be neither. He could have easily left it behind and said, yep, there's another person dead. It's whatever. Mm-hmm. But he makes a decision after being yep. cued by the other people to do that. And I found that fascinating. I think he was I think he was also curious, like. Is it a dead body? Did they kill him and take him off? Did they take him alive? Oh, yeah. And if they took him alive, like, that's pretty interesting. Uh, like, why? Like, for what purpose? Can they communicate with him? Like, there's there's a million ways you could have gone if you weren't painting by numbers. Even if you are, but, like, you jam the two sets it's together, true. which is my other favorite type of science fiction. Oh God, where you yeah. take, like, your Barbie set and your Batman set and you just jam them together. And you're like, we're 20,000 leagues in you're space, like, baby! We're, uh, we're not just doing one thing. We're doing two of them. <laughs> um so he carries it back the taurians notice they're throwing spears but they miss spock gets right back into uh the 
the uh, Galileo. And what's really great is that during the shots of the spears throwing, it's the same clunky chunkiness that we've seen yeah. before. But when he's running Just up, <laughs> when he's running up to the actual shuttle, uh, and is going up, you know, from behind the scene you just talked about. In the background, they're still throwing spears, and all of the spears are behind the the cliff set, so they're not throwing them yeah. toward the ship because, of course, that would no. be dangerous for the actors to do that. So we just see in the background <laughs> spears going between each side, not anywhere near our crew, not remotely dangerous, but just in the background, like three or four spears going woo. It's a spear ballet. It's so you know? great. But it, it was, to me, I laughed because it also felt very theatrical. It was like a practical, it was a very yes. practical decision of, yes, we know it might look hokey, but we can't do this any other way. That's, un- that it will be unsafe for the actors. You know, now we would just do it CGI, mm. of course, um, or put it on wires or whatever, do the, you know, do all that nonsense with with green screen. Um, but yeah, it just made me laugh that their decision was like, just throw them behind the set. That's fine. Um, so McCoy is like, wow, that your so your first idea didn't work because they're clearly here fucking with us, meaning they were not afraid. Uh, Spock's like, that's it's super illogical of them. We demonstrated our superior weapons. They should have fled. McCoy's like, you mean they should have respected us? Uh, Spock's like, yes, of course. This was apparently a Vietnam thing. Oh, this particular like back and forth. Okay. Um, of just like, because there were people in America who are like, we have demonstrated our superior weapons. Oh, Why do they continue yeah, to fight for yeah, the land yeah. that is theirs? Given zero other I options. didn't even think about uh, that. I got, I got that like, oh, the superiority thing. Totally mm-hmm. understood that, like, in terms of imperialism, and as they said, yeah, we're a superpower and we have to show it. Got that one for one. Didn't think about the fact that they were currently do like dealing with that in Vietnam and the like bad mm-hmm. decision to go invade there to show superiority yeah and mccoy's basically like did it ever like respect is rational and did it ever occur to you that they are reacting emotionally with anger and spots are great i am not responsible for their unpredictability like yes you are when you are trying to predict for their unpredictability like in some of these lines it just makes spock seem stupid yeah which is annoying uh so he's like, you know, your it was your logic that brought them down upon us. Uh, and now they're studying us or whatever. And Boma's like, all right, Mr. Spock, you have all the answers. What now? And Spock's like, Mr. Boma, your tone is increasingly hostile. And he's like, my tone isn't the only thing that's hostile, Mr. Spock. And Spock's like, curious, most illogical. Like he's starting to like have an aha mm-hmm. moment. While Boma is like screaming His emotional at him. egg cracked. He's like, Yeah, he's like, I'm sick and tired of your logic. We could use a little inspiration. And he's like, Strange, step by step, I have made correct and logical decisions. And yet two men have died. And he's like, And there are now furry friends trying to kill us. Uh, Spock's like, I seem to have miscalculated regarding them. And incalculated resentment on your parts the sum of the parts cannot be greater than the whole he's like how badly have i fucked up only the whole I amount i can't have fucked up worse than i love that. it this is like the moments in the 
in the Hercule Poirot series where Poirot's trying to like def- like logic out a murderer yeah. and then two more people get murdered. And he's like, I have fucked up. It is on me. It is my <laughs> sin. For I was not smart enough. I, I, I thought I could outthink a killer, but they knew me too well. They expect, and it's like that thing where he's just basically like, huh, I see that my, I thought that being smart would take care of it. Yeah. But I see now that I've been found out. Huh. Time and time again, he has to deal with that. Huh. Uh, and in part, like, it, it just makes him seem stupid. Yeah. It just makes him seem like an idiot. He's how long you, you don't have to live among humans for very long, especially if your own mother's a fucking human to realize, oh, sometimes you need to pretend things for yes. them. Otherwise, shit's going to go bad. Like Data learns this in a second. Yeah. Uh, but and every other sort of depiction of Spock does show him being smart enough to understand how to not be this big of an yeah. asshole. So that that's a little bit of it. And that's something that Justman was also like, Spock's not acting right. Um, so everyone is fucking pissed at Spock at this moment. They're like, you know, fuck your logic. Uh, we could use some inspiration. Um and Spock's like, I have clearly miscalculated. Um, I have miscalculated regarding the individuals outside. I have re- miscalculated regarding the individuals inside. Hmm. Hmm. And McCoy's like, stop analyzing things and just do better. You're analyzing how you're analyzing is overanalyzing everything. Like, we need one hour. We need one fucking hour to get these phasers drained so we can take off on the ship. So uh back on the on the starship back on enterprise um we have another moment of ferris coming in with his watch and being like you have less time Mm. and kirk's like i know we gotta be heading down that bureaucratic highway soon pretty freaking much um back on the ship spock's like i have an idea we're going to electrify the outer hole of this ship so that when the creatures touch it, they will be electrified and they will be freaked the fuck out and they will run away. So he does it and it actually works. They leave. Surprisingly, yes. He finally mm-hmm. he finally figures out a way to get to him. And that's when Boma's like, all right, sweet. We've got Gaetano's body. And Spock's like, yeah, we're leaving it behind because you know how we needed to leave behind some bodies? Behold, a body. Um, and Boma's like, no, we need to bury it, which is just wild to me, honestly. I'm with Spock here. Spock is like, don't go outside of the ship where the creatures might be and then you might die. Uh, but Boma's like, fuck you. Like, I would insist on a decent burial even if your body was back there. And I'm like, that would be incredibly disrespectful to Mr. Spock. Mr. Spock would not want someone to do that for his body when they're in intense peril. I like that even you, Mr. Spock, being like, you piece of shit right now. (laughs) You're overanalyzing brain. Even I'd put you in the ground. Like, you know, all all good people do, quote unquote. My thing is that whenever they have those burials in Old West and stuff, like, oh, we got to do this thing and bury them. It's like, do they not think that animals can dig up you know, yeah. things or that, you know, there aren't animals underneath the ground that are also just going to go in there as well. Like it, it all yeah. gets eventually, but I guess worms are more, yeah. you know, 
Uh, and it makes sense in certain contexts because you don't want like a corpse in your camp. Well, yeah. But, but for health reasons, for sure. But in terms of like getting the F yeah, out of there to a the place you don't ever plan on being again. Yeah. Maybe not. Yeah. Uh, so one was like, I am sick and tired of this machine, referring, of course, to Mr. Spock. And Scott gets pissed in this moment, which is great. We got Scotty being like, that is enough. The doctor has said there's something wrong with his heart and you've all been dicks this whole time, but call him a machine. One of my favorite things. You are wrong. Um, he's more than so, a machine. He's a Vulcan. He's a Vulcan. But Spock, of course, they've had this whole discussion. He knows that he fucked up with the crew. So he's like, fine, you will have your funeral. Like, go for it. Uh, you know, these creatures might come back and try and fucking kill us, but go for it. On the Enterprise, they just beam back to some of the people from the search party, and one of them is dead. Uh, one of them is dead. They didn't find any survivors, but and they have Lieutenant uh, Kellowitz here, who leads the party. He has, his costume is all beat to shit, and he's all dirty, talking about how these creatures are everywhere. And that shirt is going to show up in a future episode. <gasps> That's right. That, that shirt. shirt that's the same shirt that the guy who they save from uh, Cestus in Arena coming up will be wearing. Oh, yeah. interesting. It's just the same fucked up shirt that they saved that I now know that fact. So now all of you do too, including you, LG's mom. <laughs> I said I was going to refer to you specifically, but I did not. Do not forget. I remember. I remember. <laughs> He's going to love that or hate it. Who knows? Who knows? Who knows? Um, so he's basically like, yeah, all right, we got, there's all these awful creatures. Even if they did survive the crash, these creatures probably got them. Like, they're everywhere. Yeah. If we haven't At heard from point, them, that's probably why. Yup. Uh, Commissioner Ferris arrives on the bridge with his giant clock that he wears around its, <laughs> his neck, and it's bong, dong, bong. dong. Like a little uh, cuckoo is coming out of the bottom, like and screaming, like it's time. He, op he opened his mouth and the cuckoo came out. So. <laughs> <laughs> so he's basically like, I now have control of the ship because of bureaucracy. Turn around. And Kirk's like, fuck, we are out of time. I had bet. Her call back the landing part. Like he's going so slow. It is he's like, because we've seen Kirk at his most urgent, and this yeah. is the planet farthest from. Yep. Yep. He's just like, all right, we need fucking time. Um. So he's just like, fine. Let's turn around. Let's go back. It'll take 23 minutes for that shuttlecraft to return. So they now have 23 minutes left to search. They both do a dramatic look at the view screen. It's fantastic. Uh, on the surface, Scott just finished draining the last phaser. And he's like, all right, we can get the fuck out. We can maintain orbit for a few hours and maybe even re-enter. Like, do a controlled burn and get in. Um... And Scotty's like, we'll have eight minutes. You know, we have eight minutes and we'll be mm -hmm. able to take off. And so 
Spock in his infinite wisdom is like, I, I shall cut the baby in half. Boma, we have 10 minutes before we're leaving. That's right, two extra minutes to bury his friend. And apparently this works enough. And he's also yeah. like, I will help you. Which is which is that chill was the event. big thing. Learning, seeing him learn in real time, being like, "I will take the action they wanted me to do." Maybe that yeah. will be what leadership is: listening. Yeah. Uh, so the Columbus returns back to the Enterprise. There's no more reason to turn around to stay. And Kirk's like, "Ugh, fine, let's go." Meanwhile, back on the planet. Uh, a bunch of spears come in while they try and bury the body. That's right. Spock was correct. Hilariously big spears. Just heaved onto set. A gigantic, terrifying uh, styrofoam rock is held in place by Mr. Spock so that it won't roll away as he is dramatically trapped underneath it. Oh, no. Um, And... Mr. Uh, Boma and Dr. McCoy turn around to go get him. And he's like, go away! Leave! Leave me here! But they rescue him anyways. And throw him into the ship. And they just have time to take off after firing the boosters. Because the Torrens have had time to come and grab the ship. So now they have to waste even more fuel. Breaking free from these guys holding the ship. This is like every disaster that can happen to him. Everything's going wrong right up until the moment. Like, it's we. For everyone who's heard me mention other places, for all mankind, this is a lot of the shit that happens on this show. It's all technical stuff mm-hmm. going wrong. Mm-hmm. And like, oh, mm-hmm. a minute. We've lost a minute. And that minute is the most important thing. And now how yep. are we going to do it? So yeah, I'm excited at this part. It Again, overall, everything leading up to this was fine. But this part is like, okay, I, I like a good takeoff. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so they get into fucking space. He's like, it was so illogical for you to save us. And McCoy's just like, remind me to tell you that I'm sick of your logic. Like, this dude's exhausted <sighs> at this point. Um, but unfortunately, because they had to set off the boosters, they cannot make a soft re-entry. So either they're going to be rescued they're going to reach the ship or they're going to burn up in the atmosphere. Uh, Spock is like, fuck, like this is, this, these are our only options. He's trying to call the enterprise and Scotty's like, you know, there's always alternatives. Like that's what you said. A wise, a wise Vulcan once told me there are always, alternatives. always another way at which moment Spock looks at the handily, uh, labeled switch to jettison the fuel and he jettisons all of their fuel he just flips the switch he doesn't ask anyone he jettisons all of it leaving a gigantic flare trail behind them and they're like well either the enterprise saw us or we're gonna die in a lot sooner than we were before either way which was a very uh, uh you know emotional thing to do but thankfully back on the bridge the gamble is played off sulu sees it shows everyone look captain a flare and they're like oh my god it's gotta be them the captain's like turn around no win a silhouette 
They get just into uh, range, beam all of the people aboard, and the ship explodes. It burns up on the bridge. Kirk watches it burn up, and he's like, fuck. And Uhura's like, I have five crew people aboard, alive and well. And you see him be like, oh, my polycool is back. Thank God. I was <sighs> say, thank God our main characters are still back. Oh, oh, phew. Oh, phew. Phew. Uh, and it's all wonderful. It's all happy. They're back on the bridge afterwards. And Kirk uh, decides to to be a little a little tricky with Mr. Spock. He's like, you made an emotional decision to send up that flare. And Spock's like, well, yeah, I mean, all the logical decisions were no longer there to make. So logically, I had to make an illogical decision. Uh, and Kirk's like, hey, and they're all like, hey, hey. And that was all added by Gene Alcoon. Very nice. I was just going to say, people died, Kirk and Spock. Yeah. Let's not be too too jovial yet. People did die. Like, you may not remember their names or have time to bury them, except one of them, but they died. Yeah, they fucking died. Uh, and it sucked. Um, well, probably yeah, kind of for this episode that we have, not including anyone that might have died previously. Exactly. Um, we'll have to ask Justman about that, because he, of course, holds the costs. <laughs> yes. Um, but yeah, basically behind the scenes, my last facts are that uh, you know, Leonard Nimoy feels like this was a failure in terms of his acting. Um, he was really trying to figure out who Spock was in the absence of commenting on William Shatner and like being around that sort of stronger push. And I think that that's part of why he pushed for Lieutenant Velma to be able to act the way he wanted, which yeah. was in, you know, uh, conflict, um, which really helped Spock be Spock. Um, there was a book written at a certain point where it was uh, stated that Scotty actually uh, turned in Lieutenant Boma for insubordination for being such a dick during this. Mm. Oh, you can't get away with it and extra canon and watching made those ape creatures uh who we didn't even really get to see the faces of because it was too scary for ndc oh i can't handle those scary masks of the monkey people scary yeah so they cut that out so, Missy, what did you think of this episode? Where, where does this rate for you? <sighs> Despite our lively conversation on it, it's a mess. I'm probably not going to think too much about it after we're done here. Uh, I think a lot of yeah. episodes are just going to pop up. You know, when you have a salt succubus and, right? and like, a drunk virus, it's yeah. it's hard just to forget, like, or it's hard to like you know not forget but it's hard to like conjure that up as your first memory of which is the one mm -hmm. that is oh spock learning how to read people like yeah. it's not not necessarily your your top one of it mm -hmm. but yeah it's you know of course like any star trek i'm glad to have seen it yeah exactly uh it was definitely very interesting it was interesting in light of seeing strange new worlds because it's played on there as if everyone there like knows Spock, so they like get yeah, his they style they and they're what he is and everything. They're yeah. chill. They're like they trust him because they know him. And Scotty is among those people. Uh so it, it 
is cool how they sort of fashioned it strange new worlds so that this part of the original series has like yeah none of these people know who the fuck spock is none of them have spent any time with him yeah except for scotty and scotty's the guy who's like i don't know i mean he's right yeah i i, I can't wait until i get to see young scotty and by that i mean 40 year old scotty right <laughs> young scotty uh well, but yeah i have to predict what we're going to be talking about on the next episode so the next episode is the squire of gothos 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 so i i don't know what to expect from this i assume i'm taken to some medieval fantasy castle planet with a convenient set uh, and there'll be mm. some sort of King Arthur knives or knaves, knives, knights, uh, you know, a knights of some sort of space round table. Oh, wait, no, Star Trek can't do that because Stargate did that. Stargate just <gasps> fucking had Merlin lore and like Arthurian lore built in. Wow. It's just one of the ancient culture thingies that exists. So like Star Trek uh, did it. If they did it first, I would be shocked that Stargate would cover it. So I'm guessing something maybe space themed, medievally themed, but I, yeah, who knows? That's the only kind of a squire that I can think of. I love it. I love it. Well, I'm so excited to see with you, uh, Missy, and remember to uh, live long and prosper. Live long and prosper. <clears throat> uh, wasn't it Judy Dench who told us that a cat is the only creature that knows its own name and it doesn't tell people? Yes, and I was so high at my home when I watched this. Like, I was doing massive on rips that when she turned her head, I screamed out loud, no, no, no. Like, it made <laughs> me so uncomfortable. I was just like, why all of a sudden are you talking to us and breaking the fourth wall? This hasn't happened the entire time. And now all of a sudden, Judy did just like, and you, yes, you, Missy, sitting <laughs> at home. I'm talking to you. A cat is just like, oh. Um, oh, my God. I that's... literally turned to Forrest in the theater and I said, is this happening? Yeah. Like how yeah. how high could I be? It is. Impossible. I was like, is she talking to us yes. right now? Yeah. Like why? <laughs> what? I and this is what's great. This is a Alice hasn't seen, so we Ooh. will cover this on Not a Hate Watch at some point, and we know which guest we're gonna bring, and it's gonna be a wild episode. So yeah, you gotta have her watch. I'm so curious what she thinks about the movie versus. Like a a video of a stage production of it. Yeah, it would be interesting. Because well, the stage production is gay as fuck, I, and the movie mm -hmm. is like mm, no homo. These cats, they are so straight. These human cat hybrids, they are they are heterosexual. The cat whisperer has actually just arrived right now back to <gasps> our place. <gasps> our roommate Jordan is a great cat whisperer, and he has arrived right now. I'm just recording for the podcast, so it's not going live. I'm editing this as a outtake. So shit balls butt fuck. Exactly. Shit balls butt fuck. Um, perfect. So he will be able to take care of that. Um, yeah. So uh, I I did not like it, but that is going to be a uh, uh not a hate watch at some point. I'm going to inflict it upon them, and uh, it will be pretty pretty darn fun. 
Oh man, that's way too I'm exciting. Just like, she keeps saying, I like the movie. I don't. I liked my experience watching the movie because I don't think I will ever see anything that fucked again. Exactly. Like, exactly. that much money being poured into something that bad doesn't happen that often. It's like, oh, mwah, what a treat. Right? Yeah. Glorious, gorgeous, magnificent. We should, we should talk about Star Trek, though. <laughs> we should talk about Star Trek. We should chat about Star Trek. These are yes. all words that one could use to describe the Galileo 7. Uh, Stan Robertson, Stan, our buddy, it's not Stan, it's Sam. Sam Robertson. Okay, this motherfucker who worked at NBC and was like the main guy that they would send scripts for like NBC approval to. Um, his name is Sam Robertson. I have been continually trying to call him a variation of Stan Robinson. Uh, Stan. <laughs> like there's, it's like Sam and Stan, too similar. Robertson, Robinson, too similar. There, the chances that I'm going to say this man's name incorrectly Stan are Robberman. 100%. Stan, Stan, Stan Robberman. Roxy, Roxy can. Stan Roxy can from sh- NBC said it, uh, <laughs> We we should what also sorry, we should introduce ourselves. This has to be another outtake because we 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 didn't introduce ourselves at all. We didn't do we didn't do an intro, <laughs> and it would bring tears to your eyes, the same way it brought tears to the eyes of Sam Robertson, exactly the NBC guy. Are you or Forrest Welsh? I see the Welsh uh, flag slash coat of arms Forrest. on there. Forrest. Oh, that's very cool. Yeah. Forrest is Welsh. Um, far back enough that he doesn't know anyone from there. Um, but yeah. And when you're Welsh, you'd better be proud of your cool dragon flag. I mean, it's one of the coolest flags in Coda Arms. So yeah, you better fucking like display that. What's going on? Why am I not? I love it. We're getting oh, there we another, go. Okay. Getting another outtake in here. 